Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Amen. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse number one. When you have it, won't you say, I've got it? Hear the word of the Lord. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect amen I'm gonna read it again I want to thank Michael Holloway amen um, for carrying on for us last week I meant to say that amen he preached an awesome word how many of you were blessed by that word last week amen it's good to know that when uh, you're not able to be present, that you can trust that uh, the church is in safe hands. So I thank God for him. We were down in Miami, Florida with Stanley and Felicia and their family, uh, sending Miss Mona, his uh, Stanley's mother, home. And uh, we were blessed to be able to be there, but I'm glad that you all were blessed here. Amen. One more time, it says, and do not be conformed. Somebody say conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind amen you may be seated i want to preach for a little while using as a subject i started a couple weeks ago talking about a change must come and then today i want to continue that from that same theme a change must come uh with a subtopic anointed to be an outcast amen anointed to be an outcast father thank you for this time help us now in the strong name of jesus we pray amen amen uh, I told you last week that the church of Jesus Christ, not this church, not the church next door, not the church across the street or around the corner, the collective body of Christ, the spiritual organism that is made up of believers all over the world from every nation, tongue, color, tribe, and creed. This universal church or what we call theologically the church Catholic, big C or small C, Catholic just means universal. This church that God has put in the earth is his first and last plan for world transformation. I want you to hear me clearly, because if you don't understand this, you won't grasp the importance of what I'm trying to teach you today. Okay. God's plan A for transforming the world is the church. It is important for us to understand this. This is why Jesus when he was speaking to Peter, he says, Peter, who do men say that I am? And they answered the question. They said, some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist reborn. Some say one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said with gutless ambition, he said, I am, thou art the Christ. Yeah, I'm convinced that thou art the Christ. That's literally what he's saying. The son of the living God. And he tells Peter then, he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Only God can allow you to see who Jesus really is. 
right? And once you have that revelation, he says, now once you have the revelation of who I am, I'm going to build upon you, not my church. You have to understand, the word church did not emerge until the 16th century, all right? It is a German transliteration of the word Kirche. Kirche in German means house of. And so when we take that and put it in English, we get the word church, okay? But the word church is not the word that Jesus used. The word that Jesus used is a Greek word called ecclesia, right? And an ecclesia is an assembly. It is a legislative body. The ecclesia is called to order to legislate the affairs of government, like the Senate is going to be called into order on Tuesday to start the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump. The ecclesia is a legislative body in the earth. Do you hear what I'm saying? And he says, I'm going to build up on this confession of who I am. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail against it. If you have the right foundation, right, there is nothing that will be able to overwhelm you, nothing that will be able to overcome you because you know who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, take a minute there, look at somebody and say, I know who Jesus is. Yeah, Jesus has made himself known to you. And so you have a responsibility to make him known to others. Do you hear what I'm saying? God's church, his ecclesia, is the body that he has called to initiate transformation in the earth. The only way that we can do our job and be who it is that God has called us to be is if we then are transformed first. Because only transformed people can transform people. Do you hear what I'm saying? You cannot lead somebody, hear me now, into a place that you have not gone with God yourself. You cannot expect to make an impact on the world through God if God has not been able to make an impact on you. If he has not been able to change your appetites, your behaviors, the way you cuss folk out, the way you manage your temper, the way you manage your finances, the way you prioritize your life. If God has not been able to transform you, then you're not going to be able to be used by him to transform anybody else. Now, notice I'm not saying emotionalize. I'm not saying bless. I'm not saying help. Right. I'm saying to transform. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because God does not want to make you better. He wants to make you new. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we oftentimes equate spiritual transformation with behavior modification, meaning that if I change my behavior, then spiritual change will occur. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that behavior modification is not transformation. But transformation should lead to some change in your behavior. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't change your behavior so that you can get right with God. But being right with God should make you want to change your behavior. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't live right because I'm, I'm afraid he's going to send me to hell. Because the Bible says that if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, there is no one that will ever be able to pluck me out of his hand. Once I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I submit to him as not just my Savior, but as Lord over my life, as the ruling principality of my life. When I put him in his proper place, I am secure and saved in Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I'm not living right because I don't want to go to hell. 
Jesus took that punishment for me. I'm living right because I'm grateful. Yeah, I'm living right because I love him, right? But it does not absolve us from having to live holy. But when our motivation changes, it empowers us to be able to do the right thing for the right reason for the time that God has called us to do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, he, he says, uh, you've got to be transformed if you're going to transform somebody. The problem is, though, the church has found itself too busy trying to appeal to the world and assimilate to the world. Right? Now, I'm not talking about the way we dress or the way we talk or the way we, the things we watch on television. Some of those things have implications, right? But our desire to fit in with the world and its system has robbed the church of its anointing to change. Because if you're going to change the world into something different, if you are saying that you've been changed into something different, then you've got to embrace the difference that God has allowed you to see. If God has made you different, you can't be embarrassed of it and try to hide it so that you can fit in with the world, but you've got to broadcast and, 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 and flaunt the fact that God has made you different. But instead, we allow the differences in our worldview, the differences in how we think, the differences in how we perceive society, we allow those things to embarrass us because they don't fit in with what the world says. The world says, make as much as you can. doesn't matter who you hurt or who you step on. Jesus said, esteem others more highly than yourself. It is a countercultural message in the kingdom. If you ever, this is where you got to be careful. If you ever find the church and the world in agreement, something is wrong. Before, before Revelation 7, right, that's, that's prophetic, right? That's prophetic. John is speaking in Revelation 7. He's talking about uh, the new heaven and the new earth. And he says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Amen, right? So until that happens, the world is not going to agree with the kingdom. You understand what I'm saying? That's why I'm afraid when you have so many church leaders echoing the remarks and the opinions of the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, because the truth of the matter is, we call ourselves wanting to use wisdom, wanting to depend on science, wanting to lean on common sense, and all of these things, and all these things. But the truth of the matter is, all you got to do is live a little bit, uh, raise children a little bit, and then you'll find that common sense is not all that common. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, can, can I be honest with you? We only got a few minutes left. Uh, can I be honest with you? I've pastored people for all of my adult life. And I've pastored and counseled people all of my adult life. I started preaching when I was 15, Luke. And then when I got saved, or then when I, uh, when I started pastoring, I was 19. So I've been somebody's pastor since I was 19 years old. You hear what I'm saying? And after dealing with, not y'all, but y'all, for the last 15 years, I recognized that we don't need to be talking about common sense. Because some of the stuff that I've had to counsel, some of the people that I've pastored through, would have been alleviated if you had some of this common sense that Corona supposedly gave you. Now all of a sudden when it's time to leave church, oh yeah, that sounds good. We need to use our common sense. But the other stupid stuff that you were doing, that didn't use common sense. You didn't use it for that. 
When the world says stop coming to church, you say, you know what, that makes sense. Of course it does. Because there's nothing about your flesh that wants to get up out of the bed and worship God on a Sunday morning. Yeah, the, 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 the reason why you've got to get up and go to church is not because God needs to hear you singing to him. It's because it trains your body and it trains your flesh. Listen to me. I Notice I said body and flesh. Okay, I want to help you because your flesh is not your body. Okay, your flesh is the spiritual part of your nature that rebels against God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Whenever your, the Bible speaks of the flesh... It's not talking about your body parts. It is talking about the part of your nature that when God says go right, it says go left. Do you hear what I'm saying? And God says your body and your flesh cannot be the motivating factors in your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Nothing about your flesh wants to get up and do worship. Nothing about your flesh. When you get here, there's nothing about your flesh that wants to lift your hands. As a matter of fact, some of us have been in worship, and we'll hear people laugh, and they'll joke, and they'll say, man, I'm tired of these worship leaders giving all these instructions. Lift your hand, open your mouth, stand up, sit down. Well, the truth is, you don't have no problem with that anywhere else in your life. Uh, Jotham, uh, he's uh, one of our staff, one of my sons, man, he, he does taekwondo, actually do a bunch of martial arts. He's the most dangerous man in the room, and you wouldn't know it, by him sitting behind that soundboard with that nurse mask on. But <laughs> he is, no, I mean, for real, like Kung Fu, Taekwondo, Krav Maga, like this dude is, he, he, he studies martial arts. He told me that when he does Taekwondo, if they're in the middle of doing Taekwondo class and a black belt enters into the dojo or to the training facility, everybody has to stop and honor that black belt until he tells them to continue. But we got a problem in church when the bishop come and they say, all rise and receive our bishop. It's because the flesh does not want you to submit to the things of God. You ain't got a problem sitting down and shutting up at your job. You ain't got a problem standing up and reading the company motto at your job in them work meetings. But when someone comes to church and tries to tell you to worship and tries to implore you to lift your hands and to reflect on the goodness of God, you act like you can't do it. It's too many instructions. I want to worship God in my own way. But that is the world's thinking. Do you hear what I'm saying? Can I, can I help y'all with worship? It's not in my notes, but I want to help you. Uh, uh, worship, what real worship is, is not determined by the worshiper. What worship is, is determined by the one who is being worshipped. You cannot tell me how you're going to worship me. You cannot worship me in your own way. But as God, God lies out for us what worship looks like. And it is the job of worship leaders and pastors and bishops to get you to the place where you are obeying God with your body in worship. That is why the instructions come. Because when God says lift your hands, your body is saying put it down. But while you're having this emotional struggle with yourself about whether or not you're going to worship God, you got a worship leader up here that says no, lift your hands. You know God is in the room. You can feel him. That's why we do what we do. Because there is something about worship that says Satan wants to steal from you. Yeah. Satan wants to trick you into thinking that you can worship God based on your feelings. And you can't. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible, 
from Genesis all the way through Revelation, if you find somebody who worshiped God in a way that God did not want to be worshiped, they were always killed on the spot. They were either killed or immediately punished. God said, I want a blood offering, Cain. Cain, if you want to give me, a, if you want to give me the offering that I require, you can't get it out of the dirt. It has to be blood. Now, you manage the dirt and the livestock or the dirt and the produce, right? But your brother, Abel, manages the sheep. So if you want to have right relationship with me, you've got to go through your brother. But because Cain did not want to go through his brother, he wanted to have a relationship with God on his own terms, his own way, even though God said do it this way, Cain decided he was going to bring God what he had instead of bringing God what God required. And Cain was cursed because he worshiped God in his own way. Okay, y'all don't believe me? First Chronicles, David is going to get the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom's house because he's heard that since the Ark of the Covenant is there, that Obed-Edom's house is being blessed, his bank account is running over, his grass looked good and green, his house ain't got no leaks in it. Because the presence of God is blessing his house. David said, no, I need that in my house. So I'm going to get the ark of God. But this is what David does. David is more concerned with how much time it's going to take to move the ark than he is concerned with how God tells him to move the ark. Because the ark of God is not supposed to be on a cart. Because who directs a cart? Yeah, uh, see, you can steer the cart. The Ark of the Covenant, hear me now. I know I, I, it's taking me a while to get where I'm going, but I promise I'm going to get there. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, hear me clearly, is symbolic of the glory and the presence of God. Okay? The reason why God said, do not put my glory on a cart, is because he doesn't want you thinking that you can steer his glory the way you want to steer his glory. But instead of you putting on a cart, the Bible says that the ark is supposed to rest on the shoulders of the priest. Not just anybody. Just, not just anybody can carry the glory. Not just anybody can handle the ark. Right? And instead, David puts it on a cart instead of having the men put it on his shoulders. Now, here is the problem. Okay? The ark begins to go. On the cart. The Bible says God is angry. So the Bible says that God causes the cart to be shaken. Now when you read the book of Leviticus, it tells you about how to care for the ark. And in Leviticus, it says that if the ark is about to fall, let it fall not. That's what the Bible says. Right? But the Bible also says that it's not supposed to be touched or handled by anybody other than the priest. So Uzzah, a man who is serving David, a man who is a soldier, not a priest, he's a warrior, not a worshiper, he decides when the ark gets ready to fall that he's going to reach out and try to stabilize the ark on the cart. And the Bible says as soon as he touches it, he is killed. Because God wants you to know, and they name the place, check this out, Perez Uzzah. Perez means to break out or to break through. Right? Uzzah is his name. The Bible says that he called it Perez Uzzah because that's where the Lord broke out against Uzzah. Right? He, 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 he kills Uzzah because he wants Uzzah to know 
even when you're doing the right thing with the best of intentions, or the wrong thing rather, with the best of intentions, I'm not going to accept anything other than complete obedience. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Ark of the Covenant of God. The Ark of the Covenant of God was not meant to be handled by regular men. Also, Uzzah's name means flesh, means body. Yeah, so it means will. So when Uzzah reached out, flesh was trying to touch the glory and got killed. Do you hear what I'm saying? You don't worship God in your own way. God says carry the glory this way. They carried it another way. Somebody died. God said, I want blood. You're bringing me a fruit offering. Somebody had to die. Abel died. Anytime somebody worships God in his own way, somebody has to die. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so you've got to understand that there is a requirement that God has for those who serve him. Do you hear me? And he calls us to live according to that requirement. The reason why many of us don't is because we are, in fact, preoccupied, hear me, with trying to conform and fit into the world. But if God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, then he has then anointed you to be an outcast. Yeah, he's anointed you to be a misfit. He's anointed you to not fit in. You're not just anointed to lead worship. You're not just anointed to speak in tongues. You're not just anointed to work miracles. You are anointed to stand out from the world's system. As a matter of fact, anybody heard the word sanctified, I'm sanctified? That's what sanctification means. That's what holiness means. It means set apart. It means separate. It literally means, in the Hebrew, standoffish. That, that's, that's what sanctified means. Sanctified means everybody and the culture is over there, but me and God is over here. That's what it means to be sanctified. You hear what I'm saying? That's what it means to be holy. Right? God is calling us to that. But instead, we want to fit in. And Paul then, in Romans chapter 12, is writing to a group of Christians who are in the major metropolis of the Roman Empire. They're in the capital of the empire. They're in Rome itself. And he's writing to them. And he's saying, I know you're surrounded by the fashion of the capital. I know you're surrounded by the money that's in the capital. I know you're surrounded by the political structure that's in the capital and the beauty and the glory of Rome. But you've got to understand that this world is not your home. And because this world is not your home, Paul says, be not conformed to this world. The word, the word, the word uh, conform in the Greek is an interesting, interesting word. It's uh, siskitamazo. It literally means to be pressed into shape. Paints the picture of a cookie cutter cutting a piece of dough into a shape. And the Bible says do not allow the world to mold you into its way of thinking. Do you hear what I'm saying? He says be not conformed. To the world. It's not talking about, it is not the word terra. It's not talking about earth. Uh, the, the, the earth. It's talking about the world's system. The world's values. The world's way of thinking. The world's priorities. 
There should be something about you that when people look at you, they realize you're not keeping the same score that everybody else is keeping. You don't evaluate your life the way other people evaluate your life. You don't evaluate success the way other people view success. You hear what I'm saying? He says, be not conformed to this world. But if I'm not going to be conformed, the question then becomes, what do I do to keep myself from conforming to the world? The only remedy for conformation, the Bible then says, is transformation. Because he says, do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. So if I am transformed, then I can't be conformed. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you can only conform complementary goods. Do you hear what I'm saying? I know I just broke out 10th grade science for you. Y'all remember what complementary goods are? They just mix together. But then there are certain elements that are unable to mix together. And so what God says, he says, in order for me to make it so that you can't be mixed with the world, I've got to change the fundamental uh, nature of you so that you don't even mix with the world. You know, oil and water don't mix. You can shake them up. It'll look like they've mixed. But once it settles, the oil and the water will separate. And that's what God says. There is something, I've got to do something in you that does not allow you to be mixed and conformed and joined together in covenant with the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? He, he says, be not conformed to this world. But if you don't want to be conformed, you've got to be what? You've got to be transformed. He says, I need to transform you. Yeah. I've got to change you. So that you do not mix with the systems and the priorities of this world. Yeah. Jesus says, when he's being crucified, Pilate asks him. He says, are you a king? And Jesus says, it is as you say. And he says, okay, if you're a king, then where be it is your kingdom? And Jesus says to Pilate something that is interesting that I think many of us as Christians do not grasp. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, I need to help you, right? Because the Bible says that his kingdom includes the world. So the world is a part of his kingdom. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. When he says, my kingdom is not of this world, Felicia, what he's telling us is that the origination, the seat of power of my kingdom does not come from the earth. It comes from heaven. Meaning that although this is a part of my territory, my kingdom did not originate here. No one on the earth put me in authority, so no one on the earth can take me out of authority. Do you hear me? Yeah. He says, I I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. And we have to understand that we then submit to that same kingdom. We belong to that same kingdom that is not of this world. And if we're going to legislate as the ecclesia of God, if we're going to be God's governmental body in the earth, then we have to be transformed so that our thought processes, our values mirror the king of the kingdom that we claim to serve. Do y'all hear me? He says, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I've got to be transformed. I've got to change, okay? But how does the Bible then say that I change? I'm almost done, y'all. He says, we've got to be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So then how is the mind renewed? You taking notes now? Yeah, yeah. How, how is the mind renewed? First of all, the mind is renewed by saturating yourself with the word of God. You've got to be saturated in the word of God. You hear me? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Right? It says man shall not live by bread alone but by every Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you are going to be who God wants you to be, the way that you are renewed is through the power of God's word. A steady diet, immersion, saturation rather, in the word of God is what's going to help you. See, the reason why many of us are being defeated by the devil, because the devil only has to submit to the word of God. See, the law of attraction don't help you with the devil. Writing your manifestations for the year don't help you with the devil. Naming it and claiming it doesn't help you with the devil. You've got to know the word of God. Because it is the word of God that begins to transform your thinking. And it tells you that you're living wrong or it confirms that you've made the right decision. The word of God is the rule of faith and practice. It's how we determine whether or not we are in bounds or out of bounds. The word of God is how we determine what social activities we can engage in and which ones we can't. What political initiatives we can support and which ones we cannot. We cannot divorce our behavior outside of the church from the Bible that we read in side of the church because then we are no longer the people of God. We feel like all we got to do is obey the word in here and then outside we go by our feelings. But if you can't go by your feelings in here, then you shouldn't be able to go by your feelings out there. You should be motivated and saturated by the word of God. And in taking the word of God, not just listening to sermons on Sunday, but find you a podcast to listen to. Get you a Bible reading plan. Find something that you can engage in on the regular because a steady diet of the word of God will begin to change your behavior. I'll tell y'all uh, a story. I was sick uh, a couple nights ago. Could not go to sleep. I was up sick all day. I did not go to bed till almost four o'clock in the morning, but I called my parents at like three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock their time. I called them and I talked to them. I was in pain. I was not feeling well. I couldn't sleep. And my parents pulled out their Bibles with their 67-year-old selves. My parents pulled out their Bibles and began to read to me healing scriptures. Now, I had tried a whole bunch of different stuff to make myself feel better all day. I had taken medicine to try to go to sleep. I could not go to sleep. But as soon as my mom and dad had gotten to two or three scriptures, I was knocked out. I woke up the next morning. It's because there is power in the Word of God. You've got to believe that now. If you believe in the Holy Ghost, you've got to believe in the power of God in his word. Because God says, my word has the ability to transform you and to transform your thinking. Moreover, I don't just need my thought process to change. I need my thought process to be in alignment with God. And so the only way that my thought process can be in line 
with the thought process of God is if I make myself privy to God's thoughts. God's thoughts are not revealed to us by prophetic utterance first. God's first revelation of himself is in the word of God. God said you want an extra prophetic word but you ain't read this. There is enough word in this. The Bible says the word is alive and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You want somebody to say, thus saith the Lord, but there is 66 books of thus saith the Lord that you have not covered yet. If you want your mind renewed, you've got to be saturated by the word of God. Yeah. But not only must you saturate yourself in the word of God, but you've got to devote yourself and set aside time for communication with God. Yeah. Make communication with God a priority. How do we communicate with God? We communicate with God through the discipline of prayer. Now, you have to understand, prayer is not just a one-sided monologue between you and God. It's not just you getting on your knees or finding your prayer place and telling God all the stuff that you've always wanted, asking him to fix all your problems. That's not prayer. That's petition. Okay? And petition is a valid part of prayer, but it is not the only part. Do you hear me? Yeah, you, you, you've got to take time. Once you've spoken to God, the other part of prayer, and I think the reason why so many of us are unfulfilled in our prayer life is because we don't take time after we've prayed or after we've spoken to God to in that same space letting God speak back to us. But if you're going to have your mind renewed, not only must you have saturation in the word of God, but you must have communication with God regularly because God speaks to you. After you read the word, what do you need? You need revelation. Right? Because there are parts of the Bible, admittedly, even Peter says this about Paul's writings. In the Bible, Peter says this about Paul's writings. He said, Paul's writings are hard to understand. He said, and some twist them without understanding to their own destruction. Without the Holy Ghost, you will misinterpret Scripture. Without communing with God, you will misinterpret what the Bible says. And so God says, not only do you need to read the word, because the Bible also says that no word of scripture is given to private interpretation, meaning you don't get to go home and decide what the Bible means. That's why God has given us apostolic gifts, apostles, bishops, to determine for us which way God is leading us, to determine for us which way the Bible is directing us as a body of Christ because the truth of the matter is simply this Christianity does not belong to you to make as you choose you don't get to recreate Christianity in a way that makes you comfortable y'all hear what I'm saying you, you, don't, you don't get to redo Christianity and say stupid stuff like God knows my heart do you, do you hear what I'm saying I, I want to make it plain for anybody ever joined like an organization like Urban League or some, some kind, I, I joined a fraternity right and when I, when I pledged this fraternity uh, I learned a lot of rules, right? A lot of rules about how to do meetings, but also about how to govern myself uh, while I'm wearing the paraphernalia of my organization. There are certain rules that it lets you know if you've been made right. Yeah, I can tell if you've been made right 
by how you wear your stuff, right? Uh, and what they told me, I said, but what if I want to wear this? I want to wear my hat and my chain and my shirt and my socks, and I got some slippers I want to wear. They said, don't do that. <laughs> I said, but I spent my money, and I bought this stuff. I can't wear it when I want to. And they said, look, man, you don't get to make Kappa what you want it to be. You got to do Kappa the way we taught you to do Kappa because Kappa don't belong to us. We're a part of something greater than ourselves. And it's interesting to me that we can hear that and submit to that and agree to that in, outs in organizations outside of the church. But when someone comes in the church, you got to come as you are. Ah, I can't wear that. They told me I can't. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Ain't nobody ever going to trip with you about what you wear here. Ever. It's just not high on our list of priorities as a church. Right? But if you really love God and you really want to worship him, a dress code shouldn't stop you from coming to church because it don't stop you from going to the club. <laughs> if they say no tennis shoes in the club, you're going to go get you some hard bottoms. If they say no jerseys, you're going to go get you a button up because you want what's in the club. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you really want what's in God, it should not matter. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you tell me I got to put on a suit and tie, then the same way I would put on that suit and tie to go to a party that I ain't got no business going to because I ain't got the money to be out there acting like I got some stuff I don't got, but I'll go and buy a suit, buy some shoes, step out clean because I want to go to the party. If you say it's first Sunday and I need you to put on a black suit and tie, if I want to be in the presence of God, I'm going to go get me that same black suit. I might have wore it to the club last night. I'm going to put a dry L sheet on it, put it in the dryer, I'm going to clean it, and I'm going to come to church because I want what's in the house of God. But the problem is, many of us want what God has, we don't want him. And it says, and because we don't want him, we don't want to submit to the requirements that he's put in place for us to get in. How then do I conform my will and my nature and my appetites to a place where I can submit to the command of God? It is in prayer. It is in prayer that God changes my attitude. It is in prayer that God deals with my nature. It is in prayer where God convicts me of sin and encourages me towards righteousness. It is in prayer where I understand the heart of my leader and the vision of my church and I'm able to get in where I fit in and stop being a consumer only and become a producer and a winner of souls. It is only through prayer that I'm able to gain the ability to do that. And God says if you want your mind renewed, you've got to commit prayer all right you've you've you, you've got to pray somebody said you got to pray yeah MC Hammer said we got to pray just to make it today yeah 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 MC Hammer said you got to pray just to make it today look y'all 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 understand you got to pray anybody got kids put your hands up if you got children I had to pray just to make it today do you hear what I'm saying You've got to pray to stay married, to stay faithful in your marriage, to stay faithful to your church, to fulfill your assignment. Do you hear me? You've got to pray. Okay? All right. So I said saturation in the word of God. You've got to commit yourself to prayer time with God. But then lastly, and I got to quit. I really got two more points, but I'll do this one and we'll, we'll stop. Uh, uh, Finally, you've got to commit to corporate worship. Now, I said this at the beginning, but I'm going to press my claim a little bit further. You've got to commit to corporate worship. 
to getting up out of your bed, gathering yourself and your family, and coming into the presence of God with other believers. Okay? I know COVID has made us a little lazy, right? I heard somebody say something stupid the other day like he's an online God. Yeah. COVID has, COVID has taught us he's an online God. And I said, man, you're going to bust hell wide open. <laughs> I'm going to let you pay for this lunch, though, but you know you're going to hell. <laughs> uh, because uh, God, God is, not, God is not an online God. And we have to understand, Hebrews 10, 25 says, uh, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as, as is the manner of some, but rather all the more as you see the day approaching. Right? God says come to corporate worship. But what is the importance? What's the significance of corporate worship? Do you come to corporate worship because the church needs attendance? Yes. Right? Let, let's talk. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go practical and then I'm going to go spiritual. Is that okay? Can I do it that way? Because I think I'll close better if I close on the spiritual side. Because if I, if I give y'all practicality, y'all going to be mad at me at the end. So, so, yeah, practically, you do need to show up because if you're a member of a church, the church should not be empty. Facilities like this cost money. They cost time. People come in here and set this up. We're not saying that so that you can contribute financially, although maybe you should. That's between you and the Lord. I'm telling you this because you need to understand that people work to create an atmosphere for you to experience God. And if you honor the labor of your brothers and sisters in Christ, number one, you should be here. Do you hear what I'm saying? See, see you might not think about God or church until Sunday at about 730. But there are other people who are thinking about it all week long and preparing a place for you to come and experience God with you and your loved ones. Right? And because of that, you should be here. Okay? You need to honor and recognize that corporate worship is not just about you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Coming to church, getting up, Getting dressed, making it to the house of God is not about you. And I think that's the biggest thing that God wants to teach us in corporate worship, I'll be honest. Is that, number one, your life is not your own. And when you wake up on Sunday morning, really start preparing Saturday night, you wake up Sunday morning and you get yourself together, you get your kids together, you get your stuff together, you come to the house of God. You are sending a message to the world and your flesh and the devil that I understand that there are certain parts of my life, certain times of my life that I'm giving to God completely. That this is God's time. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, because for real, most of us are not taking two hours with God during the week. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Uh, and that little prayer you pray when you almost hit somebody on 295, that don't count. Yeah. If you say God before a cuss word, that's not holy communication with God. <laughs> you understand? And, and, most, most, and most of you, let's be honest, devotionally are not spending time with the Lord. This, this is the most time you spend with God all week. 
That's why you've got to have an emergency mindset. Hear me. You've got to consider it urgent for you to be in the presence of the Lord. I've got to get there with other believers. Somebody needs to see me worship because they know what I'm going through. They know I'm not feeling well. They know I've got this pain. They know I've got these issues. They know that I've just buried a loved one. But when I show up, I convict somebody who was saying I should not have been at church or I'm not going to church. I'm able to be conviction for them and I'm able to be encouragement for another person because I showed up. That is your testimony. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm here. And because I'm here, you can be here. And because you're here, I can be here. And because I can be here, the worship team can be. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what corporate worship is about. It's about us encouraging one another to worship God together. And there are certain prayers that God only hears corporate. Yeah. When the nation was in danger, the king did not stay in his palace and pray. He called the whole community together. And in calling them together, he then has them pray as a body because we need God to move on behalf of this nation. There were certain things, y'all, faith restored. God is getting ready to do some amazing things for us here in the near future. Um, and, and, and I'm very excited about it. But we can't maintain what God is going to give us with our current attitude. Do you hear what I'm saying? God is getting ready to put something in our hand and give us an opportunity to manage something great. But we can't manage it with the attitudes that we currently have. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it is in corporate worship that your attitude is conformed to an attitude that can be used by God. Okay? And, 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 and I, I'm going to close here. So corporate worship spiritually then, that's practical, right? You need to be in church. Why? Because people work to create a space for you to worship God. You need to be in church. Why? Number two, because there is a financial obligation that every believer has to their local church. And check this out. If you go to a big white church, you're not absolved from that obligation. If you go to a little black church, you're not absolved from that obligation. You go to a big black church, you're not absolved from that obligation. There is never a time when you as a, as a Christian with income can say somebody else will get it this week money time. I just want to help you, just in case you feel like, oh, let me go to a big church where I can hide. Yeah, you'll hide there and bust hell wide open. Because <laughs> the truth of the matter is, God's like, I don't need your money. The church going to go on. You need to give me your money because you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us got relationships and child support and all kinds of stuff. That's proof that we don't know what to do with money. <laughs> <laughs> spent time trying to impress the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what to do with money. God says you need to, I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get something to you. But if you keep wasting it instead of depositing it in the only place where you are guaranteed to return, do you hear what I'm saying? All right, so yeah, you got to come to corporate worship because people work for you to be here. You got to come to corporate worship because you got a financial obligation to the church. You got to come to corporate worship because your presence in worship encourages somebody else to worship. You are encouraging someone else through your participation and attendance in corporate worship. But on the practical or on the spiritual side, you have to understand that corporate worship 
trains your flesh to remember that it is not the boss of you. You hear what I'm saying? That's why we fast. When we fast, right, if you, if you do fast, uh, some of you don't. If, if, if you fast, uh, that's what fasting does. Fasting teaches your body that it is not in control of you. I fast not because I like being hungry, right? I fast because I'm trying to teach my body that hangry don't control me. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? I fast to teach my body that being hungry is not more important than me being thirsty for the living water of God. And if I have to choose between feeding my physical body and feeding my spirit man, I'm going to choose to feed my spirit man. And corporate worship does the same thing. It's like fasting for your flesh. And I'm going to help you understand this. Because nobody wants to, nobody wants to, whether it be the preacher, the bishop, uh, first lady, anybody, nobody really wants to get up and go to church. I mean, we have days, right? You know, even David had a day where he said, I was glad when they said unto me. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you do understand that that is not a perpetual inference of the text. David was not saying, I'm always glad when they said unto me. David's saying, that day when they said unto me, I was glad. Do you understand what I'm saying? And some of y'all can identify with that, right? You can see yourself in that text. Because there are some days when I'm glad when they say unto me. And there are some days, like this morning when my wife tried to wake me up for church, I was sick. She said, baby, it's 645. I said, I don't care. And I pulled the covers over my head because I wasn't feeling good. There were some days when you are not glad when he says unto you. Do you understand? But if you do not give in to your flesh when it's time to worship, then you won't give in to your flesh any other time. Do you hear what I'm saying? If I can make my hands go up when they want to stay down, then I can keep my hands in my pockets and obey thou shalt not steal. If I can command my body to bless the Lord when I don't feel like blessing the Lord, then I can also command my body not to go to that person's house, not to dial that number, not to send that text message. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I can make my body submit in here, then I can make it submit out there. That's why you need corporate worship because corporate worship trains your body that it is not in control. Do you hear me? Some of y'all are so motivated by your flesh and by your attitudes and by your emotions. And you've even developed little stupid excuses that you think absolve you from the responsibility of controlling your actions. But the devil is a liar. God has given you salvation and the Holy Ghost. And if you've got the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to say no to sin and say yes to God. But the only way that you can do that is through practice. Practice makes perfect. And corporate worship is practice. Sing when you're uncomfortable. Lift your hands when you don't feel good. Give them a dance when you feel like crying. Shout when you feel like you ain't got nothing to shout about. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't allow your situation to overcome you and bring you to a place where you feel like you can't worship God because the devil is a liar. God says, I need you to worship me because worship trains your flesh to remember that God deserves my best no matter how I'm feeling. You cannot worship God based on how you feel because God does not allow his godhood to you to be impacted on how he feels about your trifling nature. Because you do know you're trifling, right? Yeah. <laughs> you do know you got trifling ways, right? Trifling. I didn't say you was evil. <laughs> you know, you go to white church and say you're wicked. You're sinful and depraved. 
from your mother's womb. I ain't going to smack you like that. I'm going to just be like, hey, you a little trifler. Right, you understand what I'm saying? Trifling, right? Trifling, spend $6 at McDonald's, put a dollar in the offering. Trifling. Tri- trifling. You at work on time, but you come late to church. Trifling. Then you try to say, at least I come. Who are you talking to? <laughs> at least I made it. God, strike over there. Don't strike over here. At, le- at least I made it. If your mama said, hey, baby, you late for Thanksgiving dinner. You held us all up. You would tell your mom, at least I made it, mama. Yeah, and they get smacked. Up in my house, <laughs> look, you wouldn't get the east. <laughs> you wouldn't get the east of at least out around my mama talk about at least I made it. You'd be like, at least. <laughs> I did it on purpose. I woke up. And dinner was over. Thank you, Stanley. <laughs> and then your mama would be like, at least I saved you a plate. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? Trifling. Right? You're not a bad person all the time. You're just a little trifling. Right? But God says, I don't allow how I feel about your trifling nature to impact how I treat you as your God. And because I don't allow my feelings about your behavior to impact how I take care of you, you should not allow your feelings about your situation to keep you out of the house of God worshiping me. Married folk, how you going to skip church because you're mad at your spouse? This ain't his church. We had an argument. You didn't argue with God. My God in heaven, I don't do this a lot. I don't single my wife out a lot. But my wife married to the preacher. Meaning that after she's argued with me all night, she got to come in here and then listen to me talk for another hour. And she still ain't over being mad at me from last night. But have y'all ever seen my wife miss a Sunday? So what excuse do you have? Do you hear what I'm saying? Corporate worship. Is what God is calling you to. Because it reminds your flesh that it's not about you. That my feelings are not in control. That I'm going to worship God. Because there are going to be times in your life, beloved, where you feel like your situation is not worthy of worship. Let's be honest. Anybody ever told God or wanted to tell God, God, you don't deserve no glory for what I'm going through. I just left the doctor with a report. And you said you were going to heal me. But the doctor said, I'm not healed. I don't want to give you glory. But when you show up, even if you got to do it with tears in your eyes and pain in your body, it teaches you that what I do for God is not based on my feelings, which means it can't be manipulated by the devil. God, help me. God, I love worshipers. I do. I do. I love worshipers. I love worshipers. But you got to also understand, beloved, that even while you're worshiping God, If you're not really worshiping God in spirit and in truth and you're worshiping him in emotion, emotional worship can be manipulated. I don't need emotional worship. I need need worship that is rooted in a decision to obey God. You know what I'm saying? He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what the will of God is, that good and acceptable, perfect thing, right? He says, by being transformed, allowing your mind to be renewed, you will then be able to demonstrate to the world what a changed life 
looks like. I will be able to demonstrate to the world what a changed life looks like. How many of y'all want to know the will of God for your life? Put your hand up. You want to know the will of God for your life? Put your hand up. You want to know what God's will for your life is? It's in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, for this is the will of God concerning you, even your sanctification, <laughs> that you would abstain from fornication, that each one of you would learn to possess his own vessel unto sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence or the passion of lust, as the Gentiles who know not God, that no one would go on and defraud his brother in any manner, for God is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned thee and testified. For God has not called us to uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Yeah, God's will for your life, beloved, is that you be holy. God's will for your life is that you be like Jesus. And he says, once I transform you from looking like your old sinful self, and I conform you into the image of Jesus Christ, now when people see you, they'll say, that's what a follower of Jesus looks like. And then I'll be able to follow you. As you follow Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? But the reason why many of us cannot be effective in discipleship and soul winning is because we won't allow ourselves to be transformed. We want external transformation. Right? We want to cry and worship here and be trifling out there. And then when people hang out with us out there, they wonder what we're doing up in here. If somebody sneak up on you, right? Somebody sneak up on you uh, and find out that you go to church here, they shouldn't be surprised to find you in church. They might be surprised to find you in this church or a church like this, but they should be like, well, I knew they were a Christian. I, maybe they went to celebration. I don't know where they went. They went somewhere, right? But they shouldn't come up in here and be like, what you doing in here? You, you serving? Right? Like, I, I try my best to conduct myself in such a way that if people find out I'm a bishop, they're not surprised, right? Now, I don't be out like, bless you tonight. Be at the gym. God bless you. Lift up your hands and give. I don't do that. You know what I mean? I'm cool, but I, I just try to live my life in such a way that when you find out I'm a bishop, you're not surprised by that. You're like, you know what? I could see that. I didn't know what he did. He did something. Right? But so many of us are conforming to the world that when people come to the church looking for a different church, they can't even receive us because of how we've been acting. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so God says, look, Paul, Paul says to the Roman church, he says, look, so then I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, completely acceptable to God, which is the least you can do. That, that's, that's, what, that's what reasonable service means. That, that's, that's what reasonable, that's the least you can do. Because Jesus died for you, the least you can do is live for him. You hear what I'm saying? And if you're going to live for him, I told you the Bible will preach itself if you read it. He says if you're going to live for him, the way that works is you cannot be conformed to this world. But in order to avoid confirmation, you have to be transformed. How? By changing your thinking. Which means that transformation don't start in my hands, it starts in my heart. You understand what I'm saying? I don't get right by changing my behavior. I get right and then my behavior changes. 
This lets you know that God is also concerned about the why you do what you do as much as he's concerned about what you do. Because God say the transformation don't start in the hands, it starts in the heart. Some of us got the right hand posture, but the wrong heart posture. We do stuff because we know we're supposed to do it, but then it does not give us the joy that we are supposed to have in doing it. Does that mean that you stop doing what's right? No. It means that you allow God to transform you so that your motives are right. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's just like me saying, uh, uh, I don't abuse my kids because I don't want to go to jail. But if I could abuse them without going to jail, I'd beat the heck out of them. Right? Do you understand? Like, that your motives are wrong. Yeah, you're not beating your kids, which is right. But your motivation for not beating your kids should not be because you don't want to go to jail. It should be because you love them and don't want to inflict unnecessary harm. So no, you don't start beating your kids because your motive was wrong. You correct your motive so that it comes in line with your behavior. Come on, tithers. You're not tithing because somebody wants to see your tithe on a giving report. You tithe because God has blessed you. And you know that if you tithe, he'll bless you again. That's why you tithe. You don't tithe because someone's up here giving a long offertory appeal. Do you hear what I'm saying? You don't tithe because you think the church needs your money. They need me. If I don't give, what's going to happen? No, the devil is a liar. The same thing will happen when you do give. God says, I'll take care of my church. But if you want a piece of this blessing, then you got to partake. Jesus is like, the, the you know, your homies you kick it with. If you ain't put in on this, don't expect to enjoy this. You hear what I'm saying? Because I can do it without you. But if you want to partake, You've got to sow. Do you hear what I'm saying? He says you've got to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you want to be in his will? How many of you want to be in his will? How many of you want to be in the place where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are right with him? That's where I want to be, and that's where I want us as a church to be, and that's where I'm praying that the Lord would take us. Stand to your feet.